BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I'm Vienna Farron, a licensed marriage and family therapist. This is a show where I speak with anonymous guests every week about challenges they're facing. We're strangers up until the point we sit down with one another. And I have to tell you, it's actually really challenging to go in without much information or relationship. So every time I sit down with a guest, I'm hearing their story for the first time. And I'm working really hard to create some sense of safety and wanting us to accomplish something, but without forcing it or leading them to a particular outcome. Even though what you listen to in the show is not actually how I work with my clients, it's pretty incredible what a one-off conversation with someone you don't know can lead you to. I'm the author of the national best-selling book, The Origins of You, which explores how to break family patterns so that you can liberate the way you live and love. What I have found time and time again is that the unwanted patterns in our lives today are really unresolved pain from the past trying to grab for our attention. If we can be brave enough to face these patterns, a lot of beautiful healing work can happen. That's why the show is named This Keeps Happening, because who hasn't said that once or twice before to themselves? I hope what you hear today helps you as you go through your own journey. Sometimes learning through other people's stories is a beautiful invitation to learn about our own. Our guests are anonymous. Names and other personally identifiable details within their stories may be changed or excluded. Conversations with participants are limited consultations. This podcast is not a substitute for therapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. It is for informational purposes only. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Skylar. That's her alias. She came in with a deep desire for partnership, finding someone and a relationship who would feel safe, free, and joyful. And although that goal stood the test of time through our conversation, what we found was that an even deeper desire elsewhere was keeping her from this goal. Skylar is 40 years old. She has struggled with an eating disorder, drug use, unsafe sex, and grew up in an environment with a father who is an alcoholic and gambling addict. We begin this conversation learning about how Skylar used food to process the pain of what was happening in her family system. Have you done much exploration around family of origin and yeah, just like what that environment growing up was like for you? Yeah, I have. I've done a lot of, um, just a lot of different 
retreats and things like that, kind of excavating, digging things up and working through it and talking to my parents and yelling and screaming and all the things. So I feel like probably the last 10 years, I've just done a lot of processing in different ways. Yeah. So what what feels unresolved for you, right? You've been on this journey for, you know, 10-ish years, sounds like. Um, and also maybe there's still parts that feel uh, tricky, sticky, um, and unresolved. So yeah, what's what's there for you right now? I would say right now, um, the biggest piece for me is that I, I've struggled with an eating disorder my whole life, really, because that's the way I process as a child process the the unsafe environment that I was in, the the addiction and um, the emotional emotional and verbal abuse coming from from my father specifically. So as a way to deal with that, I, I definitely was using food. And then as I got older, it became drugs and sex and alcohol. And now I, I no longer use any of those other things, but I do still use food. And so that's kind of been a constant since I was very young probably three or four. And so now I'm finally, you know, I've, I've gotten slightly better over the years, but it's something I, I'm actually in a recovery program for now. And because um, I, I just am exhausted and just want to be done with it because since I've had it my whole life, it's affected my ability to to have relationships with people. So um, I just turned 40 a couple months ago and I've been single most of my life and I'm at a place where I want to have kids and have a family and the relationships that I have had up until now have been, you know, uh, very codependent, have, you know, revolved around drinking and drugs. And um, so I just feel like now I am the most ready that I've ever been for a relationship, but I'm also a little bit afraid to attract the wrong kind of person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to attract someone that can accept me for my, you know, where I came from and, and be able to support me going forward. And so that's kind of where I'm at is like the, the sticky is stickiness is like just feeling, feeling confident that I, A, am worthy of, of a healthy relationship because I've never had one and never had an example of one and B, how do I go about doing that in a way that's supportive and from the from the very beginning any interactions I have being really open and transparent with someone in a way that's healthy and not codependent what does what does acceptance of your story I know you mentioned that in terms of someone else being able to accept it um I'm curious where you feel like you are with acceptance what that means for you for me, I feel like I finally am at a in a place where I do accept it and I'm being more open with people and even, you know, my employer to some degree, um, just about like what I've struggled with, what I'm currently working through and things like that. And I find that as soon as I am, it's like that vulnerability. If someone has to go first, as soon as I'm vulnerable and open up to somebody, it, they immediately are 99% of the time are very supportive and loving and also like, oh, you know what? I also struggle with X, Y, Z, or I also can relate to that in this way. So I find that it's really helpful to just open up and I'm really comfortable now with that piece. But I guess there's just still this insecurity that if I meet somebody, they're going to judge me and see me as broken for coming from this place, this family, or for having these this eating disorder or these food issues or whatever you want to call it, food addiction. Um, and so I guess 
just, yeah, I just want to attract someone that can see me as a whole human, even though I've, you know, we all have things and someone that understands that everybody has stuff. And, um, and I'm, you know, no doubt they will too, but someone that understands that we all have, you know, an evolution in life and Mm -hmm. this is part of my path and I'm hoping to not have to deal with it going forward. But as with most addictions, you just have to be mindful of them. I don't know that they always, they completely go away, but just knowing that they're there and being, um, being respectful of them and knowing where your limits are and, and your boundaries, to not go back to those places is really important and having someone that can help support me through that as we live our lives together. Mm. You said the word wholeness. Um, and I'm curious what it means to you. You know, this idea like, okay, that somebody would see me as whole. In what ways do you see yourself as whole? Because it feels it seems like you're trying you are in this process of really integrating the story, right? Here's my story. Here's where I came from. I don't need to be in shame around it. I'm moving towards being much more honest and open and vulnerable about what makes up my history, right? But when you think about wholeness for self, you know, what is that what does that mean for you? I think we're all whole. It's whether or not we can tap into that and see ourselves as that, but even when we're struggling, we're still I still believe we're we're whole people and I guess wholeness for me is realizing that there's a lot of different emotions that make up a person that make make up who I am. There's a lot of different feelings, there's a lot of different like um pieces of myself, different um chapters in my life that make up the entire book up to this point anyways. So I guess just realizing that like even though I've I've struggled through these things, I'm still whole and I'm and I'm able to thankfully I'm able now to manage the distress and manage manage things a lot better than I did five or ten or twenty years ago. When are you not whole? And I don't mean that from like your grounded aware, evolved place of like, no, no, I'm always whole, right? The the part when you're like in it and you're like, I am not whole right now, right? Like when does that happen? That happens when I, when I try to do things for other people or when I mm-hmm. uh, get, when I beat myself up and carry around a lot of shame. Like I've, uh, like I bit, have been eaten or when I was younger with the bulimia, it's like, oh, I've, I just threw it up. I just threw up my food. I've just binge eaten. I've just done a lot of drugs. I just woke up next to a stranger after a long night out. Like there was so much shame, Mm -hmm. so much shame and embarrassment in those moments. And so I felt like those moments for sure, I felt very, very unwhole. How about today? Today? um, Hmm. Where does the wholeness come into question? Um, I guess not as much today. The wholeness comes into question. Um, there is still this part of me that believes that because I'm not in partnership that I'm not whole. Hmm. What's that like to say that out loud? You know, I think whether it's society or whether it's me or whoever, I think there is this idea that, um, if you're not in partnership that you're you know and people are always asking like oh why are you single like when are you going to be dating when are you blah 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 all the things and then you start to believe that Mm -hmm. that that's like 
the next thing. It's like, you've got your career and you go to college and you know, all, all the things, right? And then this is like the final piece of the puzzle is to to be in partnership and have that family in the white picket fence. So I, I don't know. I think, I think there is that part of me that feels like I, I'm not yet complete until I have that thing. Mm. And then sometimes I question if it's something, the partnership for sure I want, but like, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like, do I want a family? I've convinced myself so much that I've wanted children, but I don't even know if that's a real belief I have anymore. Yeah, really good awareness from you. But let's let's stick with the wholeness piece around partnership because I think what you just said is really revealing for you, right? Which is, okay, I am trying to exist in a whole way. And yet I have for the majority of my life not been in partnership. Um, I'm not in partnership right now. And if I hold a belief somewhere, right, that partnership is what creates wholeness, um, then we have a conflict here. Right? Mm. And I am curious what you think about how that then participates or contributes to the way in which you try to partner you will make me whole, right? Even though you might sit here and tell me like, no, that's BS. I don't really believe that or whatnot. But in the core, right, is I need you or someone in order for there to be a completion here for me. Yeah. I feel like there's definitely a deeper part of me that believes that that's the truth is I need this to complete Mm -hmm. my life. To complete my life so that? So, again, it's very flawed, but to complete my life so that I can finally feel happy, Happy. finally feel safe, Mm -hmm. finally feel free. Yeah. Well, why don't you tell me a little bit about happiness, safety, and freedom in your family growing up? Maybe those are not words that you would use uh, a lot of, but... Yeah. Will you tell me a little bit about what it was like for you growing up, what you saw, what you experienced, what you observed? Yeah. um, Let's see. For sure, none of those words were used. I mean, from day one since I was born to my dad was an alcoholic and a gambling addict. And um, yeah, he, he was until he turned 70 and he got, you know, diagnosed with cancer. He's okay today. So that's all good. But it took him that long to finally, to where he physically couldn't get to the bar and to the, to the racetrack to gamble. Mm-hmm. But I grew up with that. I mean, my entire life. And so there was a lot of fighting, a lot of yelling and screaming and, um, you know, him coming home sometimes, not coming home other times, bringing, you know, his friends into the house drunk. Like my mom was taking care of the family um, she was 15 years younger, so she was a very early 20s mom, and mm-hmm. he was older and doing, you know, doing what he was doing. And so she was supporting, essentially supporting the entire family because he wasn't bringing home a paycheck because he gambled, and mm-hmm. he would come home drunk, and then, you know, extremely, extremely um, verbally and emotionally abusive, and and occasionally, you know, physically just spanking and throwing things and stuff like that. Um, so I just never, ever felt safe. Like looking back, I just, you know, again, all this stuff over the last 10 years, like my home was extremely unsafe to be in. I just had that, that like growing up that like not in your stomach where you just wake up and it's like, oh fuck, here we are again. 
And, um, and I couldn't process that as a kid, of course, but that's, that's how my body felt. It was just extremely unsafe. And then I started, you know, at some point, you know, found the food and found other ways to kind of just, um, distract and just check out as, as best as I could. Um, but it was, yeah. So safety was a huge thing for me. And I think that's where the, just wanting so, I mean, to be honest, it's like there's a desperate part of me that just wants a man in my life that can help me to feel safe. Mm-hmm. So I've lived alone my whole life, you know, in the city and all these, all these things. And it's like, I would just love someone to just, you know, walk around with me, like just keep, hold my hand, keep me safe when I'm crossing the street. All the things that just are little things that really do help you feel so safe and, um, and happiness. I mean, yeah, I think it, you know, my dad was happy when he drank. So when dad was drinking, it was like, okay. But when he came home um, from the track or other things, it was like, I, I don't know. Happiness just wasn't a part of the equation unless there were certain, you know, if he was drinking and in, in his space, that's great. But as soon as he'd, you know, c- come home and and we we would get on his nerves, we took full responsibility for whether or not dad drank or went to the racetrack because, if we were good girls, then maybe he would stick around and not go to the racetrack. But Mm -hmm. if we got in fights and of course my sister and I were 18 months apart, so that's what kids do. The second we got in a fight, we would both internalize everything, every, every choice of his, we would make it our responsibility. And that was a huge weight to carry around too my entire life, like making me wrong for his choices. Dad was distracted when he was drinking. You said dad was happy when he was drinking? Well, no, I mean, happy isn't the real word, but he Mm -hmm. seemed, you know, he was the life of the party. Yeah. The guy that, you know, no one knew. We know all of his buddies knew he was the jokester and the funny Mm -hmm. guy and whatever. But then when he would come home, that was a different story. Mm, So he could put the performance on. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Yeah. And the performance from your purview was the jokester, the comedic relief, yep. life of the party, like to be the focal point. Mm-hmm. Super charismatic. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then talk to me about freedom. Oh, gosh, freedom. Yeah, freedom is a huge one for me. You know, growing up, we didn't have, you know, a ten, lower middle class. Mom was taking care of the whole family, so we didn't have a ton of money. And I, when I graduated high school, I went to college and I stayed at home till I was 24 because I wanted to make sure that when I moved out, I wouldn't have to come back. So I was Mm -hmm. determined to, even if I had to stick around there a little bit longer, I wanted to make sure that I would never, ever, ever have to come back into that home again. Mm -hmm. And, um, thankfully I've, I've not had to do that. And so I was there for such a long time. And even my, my younger sister moved out before me, well before me and, and had to come back at one point and then, then moved out again. But, but I just, um, just being under that roof for so long and having to, as I got older too, when we were able to drive, um, there's a lot of gaslighting too, a lot of manipulation from dad. Um, but he would, he would, uh, have us go pick him up at the racetrack, which was a good half an hour from where we lived, an hour round trip. And uh, we would have school the next day and all these things. But he would, you know, threaten that he'd get on the road and maybe, you know, kill himself on accident or whatever. Um, or sometimes he would not, you know, again, I, it's a manipulation, but like, you know, you want me to get on the road and kill myself and whatever. 
I don't know, just really, really very, really fucked up kind of scenarios between a young teenage daughter and her father and, and then manipulating us to go and pick him up and go and, you know, whatever he needed. So it was, um, so that uh, again, made me just feel so sick to my stomach and the food was an outlet. Um, and I hated, like, I hated him for, for a really long time, a really, really long time. I just fucking hated him. Um, and my mom, I, then I hated my mom for allowing us to be in that environment, never leaving because she was afraid to leave. And that's a different story, but I just carried a lot of resentment around and a lot of hate towards both of them. And freedom is such a big piece of that now that I really do value. Of course, I value my own, my own personal freedom and the independence I have, but, um, yeah, looking at getting into the next relationship is like, I really want to, I, I do, I want to feel safe and secure, but at the same time, have, have freedom to do the things I enjoy and be my own person and not feel, um, manipulated into things that I don't want to be doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think choice helps us with freedom, you know, it, it, and I, I wonder a little bit about, you know, the period of time where, you know, you were choosing things that um, maybe you look back on now and you're like, oh, these were not, you know, not great choices for me or not at, aligned with, you know, the way that I wanted to live. Um, but I wonder, you know, if in some ways it was a bit of an illusion of freedom for you right, to get to choose for yourself within a system where it felt like there was an absence of of freedom and choice in a lot of ways. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Your use of the word wholeness feels really important to me. Um... I think as I listen to more of your story, what I hear is a lot of fragmented parts. Um, which version of my dad will I get? What will the house feel like? Who's showing up today? If I'm a good girl, then I get this outcome. If we're not good girls, then here's what this other outcome is. Um, can you think about how else you experienced fragmentation in that environment? Hmm. I mean, I don't know if this is kind of 
ties in, but um, so growing up too, and I think the body image issues I have and the food and all that stuff is um, my, my parents, my mommy and my dad very much compared me to my sister physically growing up. She's okay. the dancer. She's the thin one. So there's a lot of fragmentation there is like from a very young age, it was always me against my sister. And we, and we, you know, didn't get along for a very long time either because it was, she took mom and I took dad. And that was kind of, we were kind of paired against each other. And um, took each other in what way? Like she was mom's sidekick or closer to her? Yep. Very close to mom. And I was very close to dad and very protective of dad. And, okay. um, and then my, my sister and my dad really, that she got, uh, most of the, you know, the, the spankings and the throwing of the things across the room and that kind of thing. She, my dad and her did not get along at all growing up. But I think because of that, my sister and I were mm-hmm. never close and we divided and took sides and, um, but, but also like my parents and my, my grandmother were always commenting about what she looked like and how, you know, athletic she was. And she's such a dancer and she can do all these things and she's so thin and blah, blah, blah. And so, um, and I internalized that belief too, like that played out with food and how I treated my body later in life, um, or from that moment on. And so I think there's a lot of fragmentation there just around, the beliefs that they instilled in me and the, and I didn't know any better. I didn't know that those weren't, weren't accurate, but I took them on and that was like, Oh, this is who I am. Yeah. This is the kind of body I have. This is, you know, and they would comment on, she could eat whatever she wanted and they would never say anything. And if I picked up an Oreo or something sweet, they would immediately be like, Oh, are you sure you want to be eating that and comment about it? And so again, more shame, more embarrassment, more, more guilt, more of, I'm not, I'm not okay. I'm not right. Something's wrong with me. I'm broken. I'm not enough in this Mm -hmm. area. And I feel like that's a lot of, a lot of fragmentation there. Yeah. Huge. You mentioned being really protective of your dad and I'm curious where that fits in, right? Because there's a lot of anger and there was hatred there that you were describing before. And so, yeah, like at what points were you protective of him? What were you trying to protect him from? I think I was trying to protect him oh, a lot of times from, well, from himself mm-hmm. and um, from my mom. Looking back, I felt like my mom would, you know, attack him or go after him. And, and I was kind of maybe defending some of his behaviors. And also, um, I would try to again, by trying to be the good girl, try to protect him from harming himself. And I took that responsibility on, maybe if I'm well-behaved, he won't do these things. But if he does these things, oh, okay, maybe I can go pick him up from the track and then maybe he won't get on the road and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, I'll just kind of protecting him from harming himself as if I could actually do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of heavy lifting for a young girl and teenager. Yeah. Do you do you let yourself feel the weight of all of that? I think you are someone who um, can tell this story. Um, but I'm curious about how you feel the story. Yeah, like talking about it for sure. I start to f- those feelings start to come up again, and I start to feel like that, like that kind of kind of starts in my my throat and my chest and goes down to my stomach just that kind of heaviness that weight that like kind of not 
And I can start to feel like the anger and the sadness and the fear Mm -hmm. that I felt when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I mean, for sure, I've done a lot of processing, but I still, I definitely still feel a lot of like anger and resentment towards my, my dad for choosing, making that up. I mean, whether or not he chose it, but he chose that, that over the family that he had and, and I think the most frustrating thing is that to this day, since he doesn't do those things anymore, be, you know, because he couldn't at one point, um, n- no one in the family, my mom included, ever admitted that that's, that that's what went on when we were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, they still are in denial that really he ever was an alcoholic or a gambling addict, and he would never, ever admit those things. Mm-hmm. And that just makes me so upset. And then they they know the struggles that I've had, and they they think that these are just my issues, mm-hmm. separate from any of their stuff. And so that definitely, there's a lot still there that could be processed around that. What happens when you say, "No, you were an alcoholic. You are an alcoholic. You you were gambling. You're like what? How would they respond to that? Anger." Mm-hmm anger and back to the verbal abuse and emotional mm-hmm. abuse. I live very far away. They're in the middle of the country. I live on the other coast. And so I don't see them. I don't talk to them that often. Um, I moved away purposely so I could get away from that environment. And now I've, you know, it's like my choice, whether or not I pick up the phone or whether I answer mm-hmm. the, answer the phone and, um, and how often I go home to see them and what those circumstances look like. But when I have created boundaries around myself now, because I have a different lifestyle and different viewpoints around a lot of things, initially, like they're, you know, like they always say, it, it, when you change other people, they have to change or they get out of your life. But oftentimes it comes with that is like that, I don't, I heard someone call it the teething period. It's that, you know, the period where they're like, you change and they really do not like that because it's very uncomfortable for them. And so mm-hmm. I've experienced where they've lashed out and I just have to push back and then hang up and then we don't talk for a little while and they eventually come back around and then they they do learn. They definitely do respond because mm-hmm. they realize like, okay, either we're, we we have to respect her boundaries or we don't, we're not going to see her mm-hmm. and we're then we're not going to be able to talk to her on the phone either. So I don't know. How badly do you want them to acknowledge what was true? Just feel that for a moment. A huge amount. Like a thousand percent. Yeah. And how come? What would happen if they did? Gosh, it would just, it would just make me feel, it would just make me feel like supported and loved finally. Like seen, like it would. Whole? Yeah, it would help me to feel whole, yeah. And that makes so much sense to me because getting acknowledgement and ownership and witnessing from others, you know, is, it's profound. It's profound. And what happens is there's an outsourcing of wholeness. If we just come back to that word again, and it's like, my wholeness 
is in the hands of two people who are in denial. And that's a great way for us to be stuck. You want to tell me what you're experiencing? I, I mean, I've never, <laughs> never thought of it that way. And it makes so much sense. Like my whole life has been lived to try to, to try to get there, to try to at some point get their validation or their, um, get them to agree that they had, they played a role in, yeah. in my, in how I turned out. Yeah. And they've never once done that. And it's, yeah, it's, doesn't matter all the retreats in the world and all the books and all the things at the end of the day, that's, that's what it boils down to. Yeah. And it's so normal to want that, you know, like, come on, please. Right. Like it's right there. It's right in front of us. Can you just say it? Right. Yeah. Can you just say it? And then you said it earlier, you're like, you know, I can scream it and shout it. And it's like, we try every possible way, right? Let me package it really beautifully and I'll be super grounded. Then I'll scream (laughs) it at you. Then I'll write a letter. Then I'll do it this way and that way, right? And it doesn't, it doesn't matter, right? When somebody has to protect themselves more in whatever way that looks like, denial, manipulation, shutting down. Etc. Yeah. Right. It's like Mm -hmm. their protection of themselves is greater. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's take one last break. We'll be right back. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This quest to wholeness, it's an inside job and that might sound really annoying. sometimes we curse those moments like ah come on right but there's there's something very important i think when it comes to your origin story around wholeness which is that we release right the thing that we can't control and convince and what's really important to recognize is that there are other people who will be able to acknowledge your story and witness what you went through, through your storytelling, through your honesty and your vulnerability, like you shared before, what you're trying to do now. And you're like, it's amazing. People are meeting me there. And it's like, wow, look at what happens there. But there's an irresolution because so many of us, you included, right, want the people who put the pain there in the first place to participate in the acknowledgement and the honoring 
and the witnessing of it. Just say it existed. <laughs> say we don't need you to go back. I don't even need you to change what happened, right? It's like, just say it existed, right? Yeah, and they can't. And so if you keep yourself in that space, right, you are going to keep yourself in suffering. If you keep trying to get them to see it and feel it and be with it, right, you're going to keep coming up against a dead end. I'm not suggesting that nothing will ever shift or change. I don't know, right? We don't know that. But it's so important for us to be with what is in front of us right now, right? Which is what you know, which is what you've experienced, which is what you see and feel. And so you witnessing yourself, (laughs) you being really clear about your experiences, right? You putting the fragmented pieces together, you taping them down and placing them and seeing the picture for yourself. And it's interesting because I think where you started today talking about wanting a partner, right, who's going to be able to see your story and really not run away from it. You know, I'd be like, oh, okay, this is your history. Here are all the pieces and you've taped them up and you put them back together in some way. And here's, here's what I see. And can you see it with me and still choose me? Right? Can you see it with me and still love me? Can you see it with me and hold me? Right? And I love that as a goal. I love that as something that you want to experience. But I think it would be really meaningful for you to see it fully for yourself without needing your parents to see it alongside of you. Can you um, expand on that a little? Yeah. Will you tell me how you hear it first? Uh, Well, I guess that you answered the question too. I was wondering if there is if there was even any, well, I mean, there's always a way, but even any point in trying to, or if you'd recommend trying to get them to admit that they, but I think that's a kind of a, mm-hmm. <laughs> a f- futile point there. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Cause I feel like I know, I mean, I know it existed, so I'm not sure how, um, like, well, hold on. What was the face for? Um, the face was for... The grimace. I, I guess it was more just like, what more can I do? What more, or what else do I have? What more do I have to do now? Mm. Like, how much more work do I have to do now? Because like, like, like doing more work because mm-hmm. I will not, most likely not get that from them. Okay, so if you weren't being so kind about it, what would you really like to say? To them or just in general about? I think just the exclamation, you know? Uh, Like I'm just exhausted. I'm so tired of having to go spend energy and resources and all these things to fix myself when someone else fucked me up from the beginning. 
mm-hmm. and not having them accept that or even acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. How much work is going to be enough? Like, when am I going to be at this point where I, I feel okay? Mm-hmm. Will you say that again and direct it at them? Like, speak it to them? Close your eyes if and... Yeah. Does closing your eyes feel okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and maybe just tune into yourself for a moment, your body, where you're sitting. And maybe just, are, are you visualizing anything right now? No, I'm just feeling into like the, I can feel my kind of heart start to race a little and my just, mm-hmm. My stomach start to feel a little, like, knotted. Okay. So why don't you go ahead, if, if this feels comfortable, you can put one hand on your heart and one hand on your belly. And just a little reassurance there. Like, you feel it. You're experiencing it. You're with yourself. I'm with you. Yeah. And then when you visualize your parents how old are they you know like what what version of them comes into focus for you it's actually the version of them now great okay so just see them there and maybe you'll just enter yourself into the room too and how old do you feel this age okay yeah is there anything else that you see in the space anything else you notice Mm -mm. okay so what you were just saying to me i'd love for you to direct to them i'm right here with you I want you to acknowledge that you fucked up when I was a child. Just take responsibility for what you did so I can be set free and live my life. And maybe forgive you. And just notice how they respond to that. And now let's shift that to, I'm exhausted. We're going to put down needing something from them for a moment, right? And we're just going to focus on your experience, where you're at. I'm exhausted. I'm pissed off that I have to do any more work, whatever it sounds like in there for you. Take a breath in. Let it out. There you go. Take one more in. And just open your mouth up as you let it out. Ah. It's one more in. And then on your exhale, like give it a little something. Maybe whatever was going on in that head of yours, but I want you to express your exhaustion. How pissed you are. Yeah, to them. Having to fix the things that were created 
when I was a kid from you guys. I'm fucking tired of having to fix those things and having to spend time and money and energy and effort into having to to try to to try to make myself feel differently to try to like create some sort of normalcy in my life it's exhausting i'm fucking tired of doing it and i'm tired of doing it for somebody that doesn't even realize that they did anything wrong at what point is enough enough like like is this a Am I going to have to be like efforting for the rest of my life to try to, to try to feel okay? Like, I just, I don't know. Okay. So just very slowly coming back into this space for a moment. Take a minute. Maybe look down first before you open your eyes and come back in here. You said something about making yourself feel differently. And I think there's something about freedom where freedom kind of intersects with that. I don't know that it's about feeling differently, right? Your feelings are there, right? What your experience was is there. And I I know what you mean by it, right? But I think there's something about honoring your experience honoring how you feel, not needing to move away from it, which also might sound really exhausting and tiring and not what you want to do, right? But this piece of like, you keep trying to get away from it, right? You keep trying to get away from it. How can I stop feeling this way? Do I have to keep putting on all of this effort for the rest of my life? I don't want to. And I, I think that what presents here is we cannot get them to see it, to be with it, to feel it, to acknowledge it. And what would it be like for you to acknowledge it and be with it and honor it after putting that down? Because you have never acknowledged it with that put down, right? There's a difference there. What do, what do you mean putting what down a piece of it? The need for them to mm. get it and acknowledge it. Yeah. You've always been processing, holding on to. They need to see it and get it for me to be whole. You have never processed it without that being a part of the experience. So this, again, quest for wholeness, of course it's so exhausting. It is set up for you to fail, right? You're turning your wheels, 10 years, the retreats, the courses, the books, this, right? And all of it makes lots of sense. You've probably had really great moments at retreats and (laughs) you've probably read lots of books that have resonated deeply and all of the things, but when you continue to cling to the story that your wholeness only happens if you can get them to acknowledge it and see it and validate it, right? Yeah. Then you're stuck. Yeah. And so that tampers with your processing of it. 
You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't get to actually be with it and acknowledge it from a place of your own wholeness, where there's that opening for freedom, which is, I don't need anybody else outside of me to do this for me. And I want you to hear again that that does not mean that no one will ever witness that with you or validate that experience alongside of you. In fact, I think there's probably many people, maybe already in your life, maybe you have some friends who can hear this and connect to it where you feel held and validated by them. I don't, do you have anybody in your life where you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Right. And I know, you know, we sort of minimize those experiences when all we want is for the parents to do it. But I think that the trap, right, is in the continued quest for them to do the thing that they cannot or will not do. You want to share anything that's coming up? Yeah, I mean, it makes it makes so much sense and it it gives a space where it's like when you read a book and you go on the retreats and you do all these things, I mean, you, you kind of feel good maybe for a week or two or a few after, but then mm-hmm. that, that feeling kind of comes back in of like, well, just feeling like kind of back in, back into your old thinking patterns and wanting to feel like you need somebody else to, to validate or, take ownership of their part of your story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes sense because I'm, I was, I'm always like, how can, how can you do all these things that are so, so healing and so cathartic and such a release and all these things and feel so euphoric coming off of these weeks and weekends. And then shortly after kind of go, go back to feeling like so empty and so unwhole mm-hmm. because those those things were what, well, of course, like helpful um, to a degree, like they didn't address the core issue. So you go back to like that deep part of yourself that just is like, I need this to feel okay. And I'm, you know, and not knowing, A, not knowing that I don't actually have to get that to feel whole. And I guess just, just not really knowing how to do it on, on my own. I want to address the part that said, you know, is this what I'm going to have to do for the rest of my life? And what I'm presenting is a lot less work in the long term. Because what you're doing is a forever process which is why you can feel, oh, I'm going to have to do this for the rest of my life. And if you continued in, on this path, yeah. Or at minimum, the rest of their lives. Maybe once they would leave Earthside, you know, then I guess there's no possibility for you to get them to see, hear, understand, witness it, et cetera, right? But at the minimum, Right, you would be trapped in that for the rest of their lives. And there is some, um, there is some sense of freedom too, and just like peace now, and knowing that because I've had those thoughts, like one day when they pass on, like 
am I going to regret not having these conversations? Am I going to mm-hmm. regret not being able to have them, uh, you know, try to get them to admit that they were a part of this whole thing? So it almost like even takes the pressure off of like, no matter what happens one day, I'm going to, to the goal is to have just complete peace around the fact that I don't need anything else from them today or tomorrow or down the road when they're not here. It's like really knowing that I don't, I don't need anything. And I think that that also can help with that. Like the regrets I could have when they pass, Mm -hmm. like, I don't, I don't want to have those feelings of like wishing and hoping. Yeah. Remind me, I know you said you're in your early forties. How old are you? Mm -hmm. 40. 40. Yeah. Um, yeah, 40-year-old you <laughs> is able to say that. And the truth is, is that you are not always presenting in the 40-year-old self, right? Developmentally, right? There might be times where you feel like a teenager. <laughs> you know, there might be times where you feel like a kid, right? So 40-year-old you, right, can sit here and say, yeah, I don't, I, I'm not going to need that from them. Right? Like, that's actually where the piece is. That all sounds really delightful. (laughs) And you're right. And I also know that seven year old you and 12 year old you and 17 year old you uh, will also present again at different points. And those, those yous, right? Those developmental stages. they're going to need something a little bit different than rationale and logic and all the practical solutions we might come up with here, right? Those versions need age and developmentally appropriate tending to. And I think that's where this part kind of opens up at times, right? That like, no, but seven-year-old you, like, she needs something else than, hey, sweetheart, like, peace is on the other side of letting go, you know, like, peace is on the other side of not needing your parents to do anything for you, right? She's like, what are you talking about, right? She wants a hug from you. She probably wants you to kneel down next to her. She wants you to validate what she's going through. She wants you to see what she is tolerating. She wants you to see how hard she is working at protecting dad. So when you ask me, what do I do? I don't want you to leave here and be like, cool, that answers it. Great wholeness is inside of me, not outside of me. And then a week from now, after this experience, you're like, Shit, right back at square one. This is about witnessing yourself, the younger parts. This is about being with her and seeing her and honoring her and doing it in a way that is developmentally appropriate for how you feel in those moments. Does that make sense? Yeah. How do you know when those parts are present? How do you know when it's Seven-year-old you or 12 or, you know, or 40-year-old you. I mean, how do you know the difference between? I think if you tune in, you'll probably notice, like, where your reactivity is. Like, 40-year-old, you might be able to say, okay, peace, right? Peace, peace, peace. It's on the other side of this, right? Like, you you will likely present 
differently um, in, in terms of what your reactivity is. But sometimes one of the best ways to access it is just by being intentional. Like, I'm going to go visit her. Right? Like being proactive about it instead of waiting for her to come to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so sitting down and tuning in and noticing, like, how old do I feel right now? Or, okay, I'm going to go visit. And there might be years that really stand out to you. You know, the first time X, that time that I went and picked him up from the racetrack, the time that XYZ, right? It's like, there might be standout moments for you where it is clear, oh yeah, that happened when I was 13, right? And we don't need all the details. We don't need to go into all the hard stuff, but we do need to see you. We do need to see you and we do need to spend time with her because that's what she's craving, right? She's craving being seen. She's craving being validated. She's craving being witnessed and honored for what she went through. And that grip will loosen a little bit, right? More and more, the more witnessing that you do. I find too, like, it's really hard for me to access anger in like really deep emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like you said earlier, I feel like I want to like say things nicely or, you know, kind of, you know, take the things I've read from books and like, oh yeah, that's, you know, but, but without really like being honest about how I'm feeling, sometimes it's hard for me to access the, mm-hmm. the truth. Um, or maybe I'm just afraid to, to do it out loud or, you know, in, in front of people or whatever, but I do find it's like, yeah, it's just hard to really access like those feelings that she had. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure as I go to visit her, maybe more of that will come out, but I do mm-hmm. find like, I want to kind of sugarcoat everything and like, oh, it's going to be okay. And all oh, my parents, you know, just, oh, they had a reason for everything they did and all that type of mm-hmm. stuff, Yeah, which yes, it's true. And there's also this part of you that's really fucking pissed yeah. and needs to express that or, that's right. you know. That's so. right. Yeah. Context is really helpful for us in holding compassion and grace for humans. We want that. And sometimes it crosses over into creating excuses. And it's so important, right? Again, this word wholeness, we can't get there if we're hiding, right? We can't get there if we're hiding. And so, yeah, the more I visit her, <laughs> the more I create that safe environment for us. If I take it gradually, right, to like allow myself to reveal myself, right? Little by little by little by little and allow that to just build and grow with some time. She's lucky that she has such a caring, thoughtful, considerate, 40-year-old you. <laughs> really, right? You're like, you're very caretaking of the experience. That's beautiful. It was really Thank beautiful. You. Yeah, your younger, your younger selves and parts are lucky to have you, really. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. I'm curious if there's anything else that feels open for you or if there's anything else you'd like to share or say. Um, I guess like going back to the creating the wholeness for myself, 
is it just kind of almost in meditation or in going to visit my younger self that 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 I start to create that or how, how do how do you actually let go of the desire for or how do I let go of the desire desire for my parents to have to be a part of that I don't know that the desire goes away I think the pursuit is what you navigate right like the desire gosh it might always be there right like mm-hmm. you know at the core of it we might always wish that they could get it and i think maybe it's okay to hold some space for that that can be there but the pursuit of it right that's a different story right the part that says yeah go ahead try it one more time <laughs> right the part that tries to convince you to go into the lion's den Right. And that, I think, is the part that we practice, right, is noticing, yeah, the desire is there. And instead of going to other, that is my note to go to self, mm. right? When the desire presents, it means something needs to be seen. So can you do that for yourself or can you call in the friend or the therapist or the fill in the blank, right, who can actually be with self in that moment, right? So it's just a little love tap back into the path that allows for safety and freedom, Mm -hmm. ultimately joy. Yeah. Yeah. She used the word wholeness in our conversation, which became an important theme that everything began to weave in and out of. Skylar, like so many of us, outsources her freedom, worth, value, and peace. Maybe you resonate with this too. What would happen if you stopped trying to convince others to acknowledge you and accepted their limitations? What would happen if you stopped trying to get someone to validate your experience and you focused on acknowledging and validating your own? What would happen if you insource what you're desiring outside of you? If you're interested in being on the show, call 206-9-VIENNA. That's 206-9-V-I-E-N-N-A. Leave a voice message with an alias and the best time to reach you. We're looking for in-studio guests in the New York City area right now. We want to hear from you. Individuals, couples, siblings, and other family relationships are welcome. All guests will remain anonymous to listeners. I hope what you heard today was helpful. If you like the show, tell your friends and loved ones to listen. It would also mean so much to me if you could rate and review This Keeps Happening on Apple Podcasts. This Keeps Happening is hosted by me, Vienna Farron. Our managing producer is Tamika Weatherspoon, with production support from Manolo Morales and Anita Flores. Our engineers are Jared O'Connell and Brendan Burns. Our theme music is by Casey Holford. Our executive producers are Josephine Martirana from Stitcher Studios, Keith O'Connell and Will Rogers from Soundbite Entertainment. 
If you'd like to reach out, you can email us at thiskeepshappening at stitcher.com. Stitcher. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.